Amen. So good to have you here today. We're doing a series on worldview. We're talking about how we see the world. And today we're going to talk about saved by grace through faith. How many of y'all have been saved? Is anybody saved already? All right. And if you're not saved, hopefully you'll get saved by the end of the message. When we talk about a worldview, it's how we see the world. Everybody has on a set of lenses that they see the world from. Think of a worldview as the glasses that you wear through life. If you look at money as a non-Christian, you'll say, oh, look at this money that I have. I can spend it on whatever I want. But if you have on your worldview glasses as a Christian, you go, man, how am I supposed to use this money to bless others? If you are a non-Christian and you look at the opposite sex or even the same sex, depending on what your flavor is, you may be like, man, look at them. They're there to make me feel good so I can have sex with them. But if you're a Christian and you put on your worldview glasses, you, you see a person you want to marry, possibly a husband or a wife. If you look at the world through a non-Christian's point of view, you'll see politics the way non-Christians do. And you'll say, yeah, it's okay to kill children in the womb as long as the mother has a good reason. That's okay. Or you'll have your different beliefs, but the Bible, as you put it on, will change the way you see things. You'll see the world through Christ and his word. That person in a womb, that child in a womb deserves to live. You'll see your neighbor as somebody you should do good to, and you'll begin to look at people around you as a way to be a blessing to them preaching the gospel. Somebody say worldview. Thank you. And here's a big one right now we're going to be talking about. All religions other than Christianity want you to see their religion as how you're going to get to heaven. And then they'll tell you all of these things you have to do. So the Muslims are taught by their false prophet Muhammad, if you want to go to paradise, you've got to pray five times a day towards Mecca. Or all these different gurus, they will say to you, if you want good karma and get out of the bad karma, do all of these things. Mormonism will say, knock on doors and Jehovah Witnesses and so forth. But Christianity is the only worldview that when you look at salvation, you don't see you. All you see is Jesus. You don't see the good works you have to do to become saved or to go to heaven. You see what God did for you. And it's a big difference. Can I hear an amen? Amen. For many of you, this may be review because you were a part of our Ephesians series. For others, if it's new, I hope you enjoy it. But let's go to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. The Bible talks about us through the, uh, the Bible talked, uh, Paul talked through the Bible about us even today. It applies to us. Somebody say he's talking to us. Thank you. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in the ways you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. So Paul, he's talking to you. Paul right here, though it's written 2,000 years ago, is talking to you and me. And guess what he says? We were all dead in our sins. Now, we've learned already in this sermon series that we got a sinful nature for Adam and, from Adam and Eve because they sinned. But guess what? We've all willingly sinned too. So imagine right now if I took you to Baskin Robbins, 31 flavors of ice cream, and I said, pick out what you like. Some of you would pick out like Rocky Road or other ones you would pick out chocolate chip cookie dough. That's my favorite, you know, or cookies and cream. All of you would pick out your own flavors. Now, listen, the Bible says that all of us had followed the ways of this world, and we've picked out our own flavors of sin. For some of you, it may be homosexuality. It may have been, man, that's my flavor of sin. For, for some here, you may judge that and be like, man, I would never be a homosexual. Yeah, but you are a gossip. That's what you love to eat. Or somebody may say, you know, I don't do homosexuality or gossiping either, but I guess, if we, I, I bet if we looked at you, we could guess what it is if I hung out with you long enough, because we would probably find that you're selfish, you're prideful, you're arrogant, you think you're better than everybody else. You see, we'll find your sin if we hang out with you long enough, you'll even find out what pastors is. Want me to tell you? My favorite three flavors of sin have been the same ever since I got saved. Perversion, anger in my temper, and jealousy and, and, and wanting what someone else has. So you don't have to find out what it is. I'll tell you right now. So what should you do about it? Serve it up to me? No. Pray for me so I don't give in to it. That's why I've been free from pornography since 96. Praise God. That's why I waited 10 years to have sex with my wife. I was, from, I was celibate from uh, 2008, uh, excuse me, from uh, 1996 to when 
when I got married in, uh, excuse me, 1995 to 2005. Let me get my dates right, okay? So that, I was 10 years celibate. Now, that's real if you've been having sex before because I knew how good it felt, but also I knew that it was sending me to hell. I knew that sex was going to take my soul to hell. So jealousy, sometimes I look at somebody else, what they have, and I get jealous. Even as a pastor, I've had to fight that. So guess what? I would not go to hell just because I was born a sinner because of Adam and Eve. If I didn't give up my sin, I would go to hell because of my own choice. Are you guys listening? So you can't look back on Adam and Eve and go, oh, it's their fault that I'm a sinner. No, Adam's sin gave you a, a bad start. That's true. Adam's sin made it easy for you to choose sin. Now, that's true. You've been born a sinner. But Adam's not making you sin right now. Eve is not here making you sin. You're choosing the sins that each and every one of you want. And that's what the Bible says. And you were dead in your transgressions and sin. So you want to watch The Walking Dead? Y'all like The Walking Dead? Look at your friends right now at high school, young people. Y'all like The walking dead here, look at your job. Look at maybe your neighbor sitting next to you right now because there are a lot of people who are alive physically, but on the inside, they are dead spiritually. So get the word that Paul is saying here. You are dead spiritually if you have not been born again, and you are following the kingdom, the, uh, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, and that's the devil. Let's keep going, verse 3 and onward. All of us, somebody say all of us. Thank you. All of us lived among them, talking about sinners at one time. So now Paul is assuming you're not a sinner anymore. You're a Christian. How many Christians do we have here? Amen. So that means you were born again. And Paul's going to tell you how it works, just to remind you. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Remember, it was our desires, our thoughts. Nobody made us think about those things. And then like the rest, we were by nature deserving of what? Of wrath. So why do you deserve wrath? Because of what you thought about and what you desired. That's it. I don't deserve wrath because of what Adam and Eve did. I deserve wrath because of what I did. So there will be no one going to hell because of Adam and Eve or because God didn't love you and kicked you out. Every person who's in hell now or will ever in the future be in hell is because they stayed dead. They chose their sin, their desires, their flesh over God and his word. Now, how many are happy there's a button, verse 4? Amen. Right after the wrath of God comes the button, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. Everybody say alive. Thank you. So here's the simple uh, comparison. You either dead or you are alive. There are no in-betweens with God. You're a sinner or you are a saint. You are still dead on the inside or you have been born again. And so let me ask every single one of you as I make eye contact as I can, are you born again? Let me ask every one of you again, are you born again? And if you're not sure, I can tell you right now, I'm sure you're not, okay? So let me ask you the first time. Uh, let me ask you this. Have you been born the first time? Are you sure you're here today? Right? Well, that's how you should be about the second time being born again. So if you're not sure, I'm sure you're not born again. So there's no confusion here. You're either alive or you're dead spiritually. And those of us who are alive spiritually, look at what it says. You were made alive even when you were dead in your transgressions and sins. So that means you never even did anything for this. When I gave my heart to Jesus in 1995, Jesus didn't die on the cross again. So what does that mean? That when God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, salvation was purchased for all of us. Every single person can be made alive right now. It's been paid for, and God's waiting for you to come and get it. How many of y'all would be uh, taking a long time to go get that half a billion dollars or billion dollar lottery, whatever it was? Would y'all be taking your time to go get the winnings or would you go get it right now? If you, if you want it, come on, would you be taking your time or would you run and go get that? You would run and go get your lottery winnings, wouldn't you? The billion dollars and a half, whatever it was. And here's the deal. Some people sleeping on God, they're waiting to, to have a better time to make a decision for Christ, but you're not promised tomorrow. You're not promised another day. You need to come out and get lost life right now. And if you say that you can't, you're a liar. You can. God has made it possible for every single person. It says it is by grace you have been saved. See, Christians are Christians because of God's grace. Now, oftentimes, they, you know, we get these biblical words and people get confused like, what's grace? I'll tell you what grace is. Grace is a gift. Grace is a gift. Now, gifts can be given back. So just like I said, Jesus died on the cross for everybody's sins. Your sins are already paid for. But if you don't want the gift, you ain't going to get it. 
If you don't reach out to receive it, you're not going to get it. So the, the question today isn't, does God want you saved? Of course he does. The question isn't, does God pay the price for you to be saved? Cross is there. It's already been done. The question is now, do you want to be saved? Now get this. Everybody who says, I want to be saved, you can only come to be saved one way. As a dirty, rotten sinner, unable to save yourself, receiving it by grace. So you can't receive the gift and now go, look at what I did. I'm so much better than you, dudes. You're a sinner. You're going to hell. Look at me. I'm a Christian now. Any person who receives the grace with pride like that has not really been saved. All of us who have really been saved can say this, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. Listen, God only saves wretches, y'all. If you prideful, you think you a goody two-shoe, you can't be saved because you lie into yourself. God only saves the wretched. God only saves the sinner who admits that they're nothing without God. Just like when I go to my Greek mother-in-law's house and she makes skodoya and, and um, all of these wonderful Greek dishes. I don't come there and take credit for, for the baklava. I don't go, man, I like this so much. Look what I made. I always remember she's the one I, that made it even though I'm so grateful. Thank you. I love this so much, but thank you for what you did. It doesn't matter how long we've been saved or how much we love our salvation. We can never twist it and say, now look what I did. Look what I made. No, Yaya makes that. Yaya did that. Y'all listening to me? Anybody got a Yaya, Wayla, a grandmama, whatever you call her? Pat, grandpappy, maybe grilling up some stuff. Listen, you. no matter how much you like it or how many times you come over to get that gift of food, you never take credit for it, do you? What do you think would happen if I held up Yaya's baklava and said, I made this? I would catch one of them baklavas upside my head, man. <laughs> You did not make this, I make, she sounds Italian now, right? You did not make this, I make this. When you take credit for your salvation, you're disrespecting God. When you say, look what I did, I came to church, I'm so good at reading my Bible, I go to a Bible study, life group. When you take credit for it, you make God look bad. You're a liar, you're a thief. You take it so that it doesn't belong to you. Keep your hands off God's glory. And so the good news about that is, is that I never have to be responsible for the work of my salvation. All I have to be is responsible to receive the work that's been done for my salvation. See, some of y'all get tired of being saved. You want, you want to go flirt out there with the devil. You think Christianity is so hard. My friend, Christianity ain't hard. He paid for it. What do you do? What did you do? Did you hang on that cross? Did you take those whips? Come on, people. All you got to do is receive it. Now, yes, being a Christian may come with some trials and tests, but what would you rather have, trials and tests or bust hell wide open? So put it in perspective. Put it in perspective. You see people do all kinds of things for money. You see these people practice and go through all they go through to win a game. Why? Because they believe the reward. They believe the prize is worth the test. That's why they jog. That's why they lose weight. That's why they practice for the fight. Because they want what's at the end. If you quit in on Christianity, it's because you don't believe there's an end to this thing. There's a heaven to come. There's a hell to gain and a hell to shame. Are you listening to me? Put that on Facebook, a heaven to gain and a hell to shame. I ain't going to hell. I'm going to heaven with Jesus. And look at verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ Jesus and seated us in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages, somebody say the coming ages. Amen. See, I believe in coming ages. See, right now in this age, Bill Gates got something. In the age to come, Bill Gates is going to be the one who washes my windows. Are you listening to me? Don't feel sorry for me now in this storefront church because we're going to be governors and rulers and kings and priests in the age to come. Amen. Michael Jordan going to be the one out there uh, get, get, taking my dog for a walk. Are you listening? The Bible says they will serve us in the kingdom, not as slaves, but they're just going to have to have a job to do, son, as we rule and reign. So you got to make a decision. Are you living for popularity now? Because in the age to come, you won't have nothing to show for it. If you want to be like Ellen now, go get your little five minutes of fame. Go get your few million dollars. But in the age to come, that lasts for a long time, you won't have nothing there. The Bible says you'll regret what you wasted here. Now, if you can be blessed here and then blessed in the age to come, get you both. Amen? I'd love for us to all be blessed here and in the age to come. But it's not even a question of what I would trade which for. I'll trade riches here. 
here right now and go to jail for Jesus. Amen? If y'all don't want me to live for Jesus, I'll go to jail right now. I'll give up all my heavenly, uh, my earthly treasures here. I'll lay down my life. I'll tell to my kids, they come persecute me. They say, we're going to take your kids from you. I'll say, I'll see you all in heaven. That's it. You ain't going to get me to deny Jesus, even for my beautiful children. They already prepared. I'll see you all in heaven. Live for Jesus. That's it. Are you ready? Because there's ages to come, and the Bible says in those ages to come, the incomparable riches of God's grace is what's going to matter. Now let's read verses 8 through 10 together. One, two, three. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So is there a life of good works? Absolutely. But it comes first by faith. The faith that you choose to put in God is the same faith you chose to sit on the front row right now or to sit on the back row. You see, faith is whether or not you believe something's going to happen in this place. See, people who come late and don't want to be on the front row and hide in the back row, they don't have faith that God's going to do something. Are you all listening to me? Y'all who come late, you don't come with faith to believe God's going to do something at 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock when we start. Amen? Y'all don't have faith. See, you, you use the same faith right now to get up on time or to come late. See, sometimes people think, oh, only Christians have faith. Every single person has faith, and your faith determines your actions and what you believe. If y'all believe that God would bless you and take care of you, every single one of you would be tithers. You show your unbelief in God and, and, and your disobedience to not be a tither. You show your disobedience coming late by not having faith. You show your disobedience by not fighting over the front row and letting all these young people take y'all adults should be ashamed of yourself. Show yourself faithful. Be up in the front row. Show them. You see, because you play with God. Many of you play with God, and then you make excuses. Say, well, I don't got faith. I don't got faith. How did this teenager have enough faith to get here? You get here. You get in the front row. You fill up this church. You come on time. You give your tithes and offerings because it's your faith. Your faith got you working a job because you believe you got a paycheck. Work for Jesus because his paychecks are the best. You come on time because you believe it's good to be on your job on time. You go to school on time. You pass your test. Some of y'all don't pass your discipleship here because you're weak and lazy in the things of God. You got more faith in Ronald McDonald than you do in Peter, Paul, and James and the Holy Spirit that inspired them. You got more faith in what you're doing for the world than what you do for Jesus. And then you wonder why Christianity don't work for you. It's because you don't work it. See, that's the problem. See, everybody's got faith. Everybody's putting their faith in something. You're putting your faith in that relationship. You're putting your faith in that job. You're putting your faith in that bus that he ain't going to drive it into the lake today. Everybody's got faith. Here's the question. Do you put your faith in God? Do you trust God? Do you trust God and what he's going to do on a Sunday? Do you trust God and what he's going to do on a Monday in your marriage? If you really believe God was going to keep your marriage, y'all would do devotions every day instead of watching that stupid TV. Instead of putting your face in Facebook, you would put your face on God's book and his book. You see, we show what we really believe. You can say it all day long. You believe that's nothing but hot air. You show your actions and what you really, what you really believe by your actions. And so the Bible's clear. Look at what it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. So yes, I don't do anything to earn it or deserve it, but I make a choice to have it. And it doesn't matter what you do. I'm going to put my faith in God. you got to make that same decision. It doesn't matter what my family does. It doesn't matter what my parents do. It doesn't matter what my neighbor sitting next to me does. I'm going to live for Jesus. See, by faith I'm saved, but my faith is everything I got. See, in, in actuality, I don't have anything else to give but faith. Because I can't give anything to God that's good. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've already ruined ourselves. Our whole body's filled with tar, and we're trying to clean ourselves off. How are you going to do that? We're already full of AIDS, and we're trying to give ourselves blood transfusion, and I'm trying to get one from you. That don't work either. If you just as filled with AIDS as I am, how are you trying to help me? You can help me. And if you just as tarred up as I am, how are you going to wash me and get me clean with your dirty hands? The Bible says we're saved by grace through faith. And that ought to mean something. That ought to put something different into our lives. When I go out onto the streets and I preach the gospel and people say they have faith, I say, that's great. Now show me your deeds. Show me your works. Show me that you do something with your faith. Because this is not wish upon a star type make-believe faith. Are you listening? 
This ain't going to Disney World and just saying, I believe. This shows that you really have something in your heart because look at what it says. It says, you then are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He prepared in advance for you to do. So if I look at your life right now and you're not doing good works, whose fault is it? Come on, I asked you a question. If I look at your life and I don't see good works, whose fault is it? It's yours. Did God prepare you to do good works? Yeah, the Bible says he prepared in advance a good work. Somebody shout out good, a good work right now that you should do. Somebody shouted out tithing. You said tithing? Yeah, tithing. If anybody says you can't tithe, is that true? Can you turn on these fans for me, Jerry? Preach the gospel. If anybody's not preaching the gospel right now, is that, is that your fault or God's fault? That's right. If you're not tithing now, whose fault is it, your fault or God's fault? That's right. Everybody think about it right now. Every good work you are, thank you, sir, every good work you are supposed to do has already been prepared for you. Every good work. So those three thin, sins that I said that I mess up on or have had issues in, guess what? God's already prepared me a way out of every single one of them. If I am ever jealous again, everybody look up at me, please. Thank you, sir. If I'm ever jealous again, whose fault is that? If I ever stumble in lust again, whose fault is that? Come on. If I ever complain or don't have joy in my heart, whose fault is that? That's my fault. So ask yourself a question. Are you doing the good works God prepared for you? Because there's no excuse. When I talk to people and they say, I got faith, but living for Christianity is hard, they are lying. They are lying. Our Father is a good Father. He has never asked you to do something you cannot do. He has never commanded you to do something that he didn't know you could do. So you may then say, Pastor, where's the battle at? Why is it hard for me? Where's the, where does it get difficult at then? Well, I'm glad that you asked, and that's the reason of today's message. Because I'm going to teach you not only how to be saved by faith through grace, but how to stay saved, how to live out the life of Christ. Can I hear an amen? Amen. So let me review this for some of you here who are new to Christianity or may never have seen the story before. It's very simple. We've been learning it in our worldview series. You can go back and check our past messages. God created the world perfect. God created us in his image. Then we sinned. We chose to disobey God. But God said, I'll take care of this. He then came down as one of us to die on the cross. That's what we learned about last week. So that he can restore heaven to earth, the Garden of Eden, upon this planet. Now, right here, people try to get deep, and they say, man, if God knew we were going to do this, and then he was going to have to do this so that we could have this, why doesn't he just erase all this and just keep us like this? Because isn't it kind of his fault if he creates this and knows we're going to do this, and then it's going to be up to us to receive this, or we go to hell instead of having this? Why not just keep it like this? Why not just do this? You want to know why? It's because for God to keep you perfect, he would have to take away your free will and make you a robot. I love you, God. I will always listen and obey. So God put a plan in action. Somebody say God's descriptive will. Thank you. God started it off by telling us, describing to us what he wanted us to do. In the garden, here's the plan. God told us what to do. You may eat from any tree in the garden of Eden you want, but don't eat from this one. From the day, For the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then guess what we did? We went right over there and ate it and died, didn't we? Brought death and destruction. And that's God's permissive will. Somebody say God's permissive will. God said, I'm going to tell you what I want you to do. But then I'm going to let you, I'm going to permit you to decide what you're going to do. And then what do we do? Blow the whole thing up. And then guess what God did? Somebody say God's decretive will. God then decreed what the consequences would be like. So I don't know if you've, brought, you've been brought up in a house like this, but my parents used to tell me like this, Joe, you're free to make the choices that you want in life, but we're going to make your consequences. Y'all get quiet like that? I don't know if your parents ever talked to you like that, but that's how it was done like for me. That's why I got kicked out of my house at 16 years old, and that was the best thing my parents ever did because they said, you made the choice to do drugs and you want to be a drug dealer? Here's the consequence. You out the house right now. Go. Put me out at 16. Best thing that ever happened to me. You know why? Because I got to see what that life really led to. I got to see what it was like sleeping on couches instead of sleeping in my bed. I got to see what it was like to have to wear the same dirty underwear because I couldn't afford to wash my clothes. Are you listening? And if I would have died and went to hell, my mom would have been shouting and praising to Jesus because he was good to her either way. Are you listening? Because she could say, I preached to him. I loved him. I'm sad now, but I'm still thankful, Jesus, that you're my Savior. Because he was a good God. 
because it wouldn't have been her fault for me going to hell and destroying my life. So let me say that to every parent here. God's still good if your children go to hell. That's up to you, children. If you want to go to heaven or hell, don't put that on your parents. Now, I know some of you have had hard lives, and it's been hard for you. Even that's not an excuse. All that pain that's been done to you should drive you to your knees and reach out to God. Amen? So that's what's up. So God has a descriptive will, a permittive will, a permissive will, and a descriptive, a decretive will. Let me say it again. God has a descriptive will, a permissive will, and a decretive will. Now look at Ephesians 1.11. God predestined us according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purposes of his will. So since being a Christian has bad things happened to me, yeah, I'm still suffering the consequences of Adam and Eve. But guess what? I don't sin like I used to. I've been changed. You say, Pastor, since you've been a Christian, have you been sinless? No, but I have sinned less. Since 1995, I sin a whole lot less. Has there been times where I still sin? Yeah, but I sin less. And guess what? When I make my choices, I got to deal with the consequences. But God is faithful. The Bible says that even when I make bad choices, that if I repent, he will try to spare, not try, but he will work through my life, those bad consequences for my good. For my good. See, even when I make bad choices, God uses them for his good. That's why the Bible says in Romans, all things work out together for God, or worked out for the good of those who love God. So am I saying that every bad thing that's happened to me is something that I wished would happen to me? No. And I'm not even saying every bad thing is my fault because some of it didn't have to do with my choices. But no matter whether it comes upon me because of my bad choices or because I live in a fallen world, God will work out everything for his good. Do you know that God even used my sister dying because of drinking and driving for his good? Because that was the choice she made, and that was the consequence she suffered, and I had to suffer it too, saying goodbye to my sister that day. But guess what? God used it for my good. Guess what good came out of that? I'm not going to drink and drive. That's what good came out of it. Y'all been abused? Guess what good's going to come out of it? You ain't going to abuse. I think that's a good thing. That stops the work of the devil, Right? So the work of the devil maybe went from your parents to their parents and, and their, your grandparents, and they were all abusing each other. Now you've been abused for the last time in that family, and now when you have children, they'll never be abused again. God used it for good. God showed you what abuse looks like. You see, God changes the world through the evil we experience if we allow him the permission in our lives to do it for good. If it doesn't get turned for good, then all we have, watch, is evil here and then evil in the lake of fire. So for those who say, man, I don't like this life. I don't like the consequences of the fall of Adam, the consequences of my bad decisions. Well, guess what? Your life's going to suck, and you're going to go to hell forever. How you like that? So you didn't get out of it. You didn't change anything. You can flip off God all you want and complain about all that. That's okay. Your life's still going to suck. You're going to be a bitter person, and then you're going to bust hell wide open. I don't feel sorry for you now. That's your decision. You see what I'm saying? Or you can be like the girl who I knew because I buried both of her parents because of drug overdoses. You could say, devil, you ain't never doing this again. Give your life to Jesus. Get married to a good man as she did. Raise up two kids. Get your master's degree in social work and change the world for Jesus despite all the pain you've been through. It's your choice. It's your choice. I can't prevent bad things from happening to you. And God's going to allow them to happen because of the sin on the world. Now that's already going to happen. So don't blame him for it. That was our choice. But what you do have a choice over is whether or not that sin, those bad consequences, turn for God's good. Now does that mean we keep doing sin so God keeps using it for good? Paul actually says we don't do that. We don't keep sinning so that good will come out of it. We now see that the best way is to always serve God. Amen? And so when we talk about salvation, some of y'all have seen this. People talk about it like it's a progress. You know, I'm always progressing to be better and better. I'm bettering myself like as if this is a self-help program. Christianity is not a self-help program. That's what all the other religions tell you. Pray, do this. Now you get a little bit more good works. You 10% a Muslim now, but you got to keep doing more Islamic good works to become more of a Muslim to get promised paradise when you die. Why do you think they commit suicide in these jihad war uh, as jihadis? It's because they are promised an upgrade all the way from here to bing with 70 virgins if they die in a war. 
That's why they do it. That's why they get the poor people from those communities to come fight and the women to strap bombs on themselves because they're guaranteed more progress towards their salvation by doing that. That's the same reason why, by, why Jehovah Witnesses are knocking on doors today. Mormons are riding bikes. is because they're told every time they do those things more, they increase their chances of being saved. That's what yogis tell people to do in, 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 in their, their classes, their, yogi, um, their yoga classes. Yogis are the, the leaders, the gurus. That's why they tell them, keep coming, keep doing all this, because the more you cleanse yourself of bad karma, the more good karma you're going to have. And what does it sound like for most people? Because most people aren't Mormons, Jehovah Witnesses, Muslims. Most people are just backslidden Christians. And what do they say? Second flesh, chapter 2, verse 11. God is still working on me, man. And one day I'll be who he wants me to be because nobody's perfect. Like when I first came to church, I was like only like 10% saved because I was kind of a good person. But now that I've been praying more, I'm like 20% saved. But my grandma, oh, my grandma, you should have met my grandma. My grandma was like 70% saved. Oh, grandma was 70% saved? Yeah, she was 70% saved. Is that what the Bible says? The Bible talks about complete salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is where? Come on, somebody point to where the new is. It's right here. It's in us, those who have been saved. Now, some people may ask them, well, then, Pastor, since we are saved, does that mean there's no more growth? There's nothing else that changes? No. You keep growing and changing, yes, but watch. You are growing from your identity as a child of God, not to be a child of God. Because if you remember what we read, you're either dead or you're alive. You're either a child of God or you're a child of the devil. You are 100% one or the other, in other words. But now what happens when you're a Christian? The Christian grows in their salvation. So think about it like this. Does my son back there, Lucas, come on up here. Where's Lucas at? Of course. The moment I want that boy, he's in the bathroom. How of all the times I call on him in the bath. That's like, that's, that's what I do as a leader. I call on people while they're in the bathroom. Now watch this right here. Does my son get more of my DNA the more he grows up? No, that one old lonely night that my wife and I hooked up together is the day he got all my DNA that he's ever going to get. That's when he got it all. Are you listening? When my son got hooked up that day with my wife and I, that's when he got my DNA. And when he gets born and he starts living, he doesn't get more of my DNA. But when he learns to act like me, he gets more of my character. You see, he already has my DNA, but he doesn't have my character. So what comes first, my child being born or my child getting my character? My child being born. What comes first, you acting like a Christian or becoming a Christian? So you become a Christian, then you learn to act like a Christian. So first you get new birth, then you get spiritual growth, then you get the renewal and transformation of your thinking and behavior. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says it like this, but we all with an open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as the spirit of the Lord. So this is a changing kind of relationship we have with God, yes, but I'm not changing from a non-Christian to a Christian. I'm just changing as a Christian from a Christian with a bad attitude to a Christian with a Christ-like attitude. From a Christian with perversion, perverted thoughts to a a Christian with holy thoughts. And that's how it works. And an easy way to see it is it starts on the inside. Somebody say the inside. On the inside, you get made a perfect holy person in the image of Christ. Then on the outside, you start to grow. And how do you grow? You grow by what you know and what you show. The more you know and the more you show it is how you grow. And it continues to always go on throughout your life. So the more I know, the more I show, the more I grow. I know I should treat my neighbor nice, but I don't always show it. But when I do show it that I should treat my neighbor nice, I grow in how I treat my neighbor more like Christ. Are you getting it? So the more I know, I show, and I grow, then by doing that, my renewal and transformation happens. And then you look at me, or a Christian, you go, yeah, man, you look different. Yes, because my mind has been renewed. My behavior has been transformed. Amen? And so that's simply how it works. And so Christianity is a growing faith relationship uh, with God, but it's not based on our works. It's based on faith, and it's always been because of God's grace. Amen? 
Now let's go to Romans chapter 4 quickly. When we look to the Bible, we see the first example of a person of faith is Abraham. He comes on the scene in Genesis chapter 12. Up until this point, it is a mess on the earth. Let me give you a review. We're created in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. By the time we're in Genesis chapter 3, we've fallen into sin as Adam and Eve. You know, Adam and Eve were our representative. That's why I always say we, because we would have done the same thing. Fall into sin with Adam and Eve. The whole world is cursed. By Genesis chapter 6, God says, I'm fed up with y'all. I'm going to destroy the whole world. Then by Genesis chapter 11, he's upset with us again because we're trying to build a tower to heaven. And then he curses us with different languages. So within the first 11 chapters of the Bible, we bring a curse upon the entire earth, destroy the garden of Eden. God then destroys the world because of the flood, and then he separates us according to cultures and language in Genesis chapter 11. By the time we get to Abraham, we need a hero. Somebody say, I need a hero. Come on, you need a hero in the story. You need somebody to stop messing it up. Now, Noah was the only righteous one in his generation, so we got to mention him, but Abraham then becomes the father of our faith. Now, why does Abraham become the father of our faith? Because God is now going to show Abraham what it's all about, why he created us. And then through Abraham, Abraham's going to have Isaac, his his firstborn. And then Isaac's going to have Jacob. And then Jacob's going to have sons who will become the tribal leaders of Israel. Israel will then live in Egypt, get delivered by Moses. Then the kings will come like David and Solomon. Then the prophets will come to correct those kings. And then Jesus will come as a fulfillment for everything that happened from uh, uh, Abraham all the way to the last prophet Malachi. So we need to start with Abraham and understand where we're going to finish. Because if we can see what God was starting with Abraham, then we'll know why Jesus came and died for us on the cross. When Jesus was coming, he was coming to fulfill all the prophecies that had been given from the time of Abraham to the time of Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament. Now listen to Paul. He's going to make this same lesson. That's why we learn it this way, because Paul told us to look back at Abraham. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? What are we talking about? Salvation, being justified, being forgiven. Look at verse 2. If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. So the idea is here, every other religion gives you a way of salvation by you working for it, and then that means you can come before God and go, God, look what I did. God, look at how I saved myself. Or like how some people say, you do your part, God will do his part. So God, look at how you did 50%, and then I did 50%. Or as others may say, like, God does 90, and then you do 10. No, God says, you can't have any of that with me. You can't take any credit for this. You can't boast about one thing before God. Let's keep going. Verse 3. What does Scripture say? Somebody say, what does it say? Here it is. What does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as what? Righteousness. So Abraham did what? He believed God. What did he do? He believed God. Did he work for God? Did he start doing a bunch of good things for God? Did he go to church more? Did he do more sacrifices? No, he believed God. Everybody look up at me, please. The greatest thing you can ever do in life is take God at his word. Everything will be based upon that. The same faith, think about it like this, the same faith you had to sit on these chairs, those of you who came to church and didn't, praise God because you had enough faith to be here, but those who rushed to get to the front and those who go to Bible say, all that faith you do, the Bible says, will have a reward to it. Now listen. If you don't put that faith in God, you will remain a sinner. You will remain as ungodly as everybody else. And listen to me. There's not a different hell for Hitler than there is for you. When I went to Shores High School and I was trying to tell them to come to the youth event on Friday, they would walk by like they were so cool. I would tell them from the microphone, you ain't too young to go to hell. You can go to to the hell of Hitler at 15 years old. But listen, you can have the same blessings of Abraham too at 15 years old. Do you get the, what, the, the lesson here? The lesson is, is that the greatest people in the Bible lived by the concept of faith. 
that means you and I are supposed to live by that same faith. There's nothing greater than you can ever, that you can ever do than to believe God. And notice it, when we believe God, it's credited to our account as righteousness. So God is not doing it because uh, giving my children righteousness because I was righteous. The faith for God to save you only works one person at a time. Only one person gets the credit to their account. So today, you have to make that decision, and not only make it as a one-time decision, but as a lifetime decision. Somebody say a lifetime decision. Because when we believe God, we keep believing God. See, now think about it like this. I believe in my wife's love for me. If I stop believing that, I'll start cheating on her. My actions will show that I don't believe in her. See, I believe that pastoring you is worth my time. If I ever think you're not worth my time, you won't see me here on a Sunday. You see, I have to make my faith relevant every single day. Just like you make your faith relevant in all these other things, you make your faith relevant to stay married in your relationship, to go to your job, to come early, stay late, work hard. You're making your faith relevant to ride in a car. You may not even know how uh, mechanics work. You may not be like that, but you have faith in all of these things. You've got to keep your faith in God. Can I hear an amen? That's where it's going to come down to. I'll get there in just a moment, but let's finish this out. Verses 4 and 5. It says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. So if you think you're going to earn it, it has to be given to you as an obligation. Here's the deal. God will not be obligated to save anybody because he knows you can't work for it. So do you see what I was saying before? If you don't admit you're a wretch or if you ever take credit for it, that's when you stop being saved. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith, somebody say my faith, thank you, their faith is credited as righteousness. So here it is. It's very simple. You decide, I'm not in charge of my life. I'm not going to try to work to change myself. You throw up your hands and wave the white flag of surrender, you're saved. You live your life like that. I will trust God and obey. I may not know how it's going to work out, but I'll be a tither. I may not know who's going to be my friends, but I'm going to separate from these sinners. I may not know how my plan's going to be, but I'm going to follow God and go to this school. You do that, the Bible says righteousness will be credited to you literally every place you drop that credit card of faith. Anytime you drop it, it's credited right back to you. Now imagine if I said that to you. I will give you a credit card that will pay for anything as long as you believe. Now y'all would be trying that. That's called make-believe though, isn't it? Y'all would try it though, you know, like throwing a cord into a well. You know, people still are so stupid, they do that. Or wish upon a star. And I guarantee you, if I told you, if I give you a credit card and every time you believe in it, it will work, you know people would try that. And yet we tell them, put your faith in God and then they look at us like we're from Mars asking them to do something crazy. You got all these people trying to win the billion and a half dollar lottery, one in a 200 million dollar chance, and yet God never fails and people won't put their faith in him. See, God is not mocked, people. God will not be mocked. You reap what you sow in the kingdom of God. I know today I need his righteousness. Now, does that mean there's no work that I do in faith. No, there is work that I do, but guess what? It's always coming from faith. It's always coming from the place that God is strong in me. Even in my weakness, God is strong. So when I face that, you know, just take one of those temptations of jealousy, and I see this church over here has more, or this thing over here, now I have a choice. Am I going to take God at his word that he's going to give me what he's promised me, or am I going to act in the flesh? Maybe start compromising this message to get more people. The same thing is with perversion. If I go, oh man, my wife's not good enough for me. We've had six kids. I want the upgraded model. I want the 22-year-old now. I don't want the 36-year-old, right? If I do that, if I do that, I'm going to reap that. I'm going to reap that. But if I look at my wife and I say, God, give me eyes to see her the way you see her. She'll be more beautiful today than the day we got married. Y'all ain't getting excited, but I'm excited. That's, that's the truth. And it's the same thing for everything in your life. If you don't have faith in the process that God has you in, you'll quit every time. 
And I, I know people here are superstitious because I talked to some of you guys, and you think because you got that raise that that's automatically God, or because you got in that relationship that's automatically God. Do not be superstitious like that. The devil knows how to give promotions too. Bill Gates is the second richest man in the world. He doesn't even believe in God. What I'm talking about are real blessings that cannot be imitated by the world. Think of it like this. When Moses was before Pharaoh, God told him to throw down a staff. It would become a snake. The magicians came, and I don't know what they were doing. Maybe they were like Chris Angel or one of these guys, David Blaine, you know, and, and, they, and they threw down a, serp, a, a staff, and it turned into a serpent too, and they're like, look, we're just as good as you. But guess what happened? God's serpent ate that serpent and said, let me show you what time it really is. Y'all want to play around. And let me just tell you right now, God's blessings in your life will eat up all of the fake stuff of this world. It cannot compare to what God will do in your life. So the ungodly get justified by faith. And the Christian who's now godly stays justified by faith. And then everything else you do is by faith. Now watch this here in closing. Can I get Adam to come, please? The Bible teaches us to hold on to faith now. So guess what? What do you think the devil's going to attack the most now? If he knows everything's right in all faith, what do you think he's going to attack the most? Faith. He's going to get you to try to disbelieve in God. And if he can get you to disbelieve in God, then he could take away your source of life. He could take away your source of righteousness. So when the devil comes, is the devil going to come to you and say, let's go be Satanists? No. If I asked you here in this room privately, how many of you this past week were tempted with becoming a Satanist? I guarantee you there will only be like maybe a handful of you, the crazy ones, right? No, I'm kidding, half kid. But and, and I'm serious. If I asked you guys like how many of you this week were tempted to be Satanists, like you were tempted like to go get 666 across your head and you're going to get fangs in your mouth and start worshiping the devil, you know, like, like nobody really, right? Very few people get tempted to become a Satanist. If I asked you how many of you here were tempted this week to call upon a demon, and to ask a demon to possess you and to give you special powers, you know, like some people talk about with Santeria and these different things. Most of you aren't doing stuff like that, right? You're not going to do voodoo or Santeria. That's not your temptation. But if I asked you, let me ask you a question. Come on, let's be real. If I asked you how many of you were tempted this week to not pray, to not read your Bible, to not go to church, youth group, life group, to not meet with your one on -er, to not do your assignment for 201, I guarantee you everybody would raise their hands, including me, including me, because the devil knows how to attack me. He doesn't come attack me and say, let's go get you to cheat on your wife. Let's go get you. No, no, this is all he tells me. It's been a hard day, Joe. You've already preached. You've already done all of these things for other people. You don't need to pray. God knows your heart. Just turn on the TV relax. You've earned this. You're a pastor after all. What could possibly go wrong? I'm telling you. He tells me the same things with my devotions. I pray for my kids every single day. Pray for my wife every single day. You know what? It's tiring sometimes. Sometimes I don't want to do it. You know what he says to me? Just put them to bed. You'll pray for them later. Pray for them in the morning. Put them to bed tonight and then pray for them in the morning. Oh, your wife's already tired. Just pray for her later. You watching the movie. She's falling asleep. You do not want to pause this part right here because this is the best part right here. It won't be the same if you pause it. Let her fall asleep. Then you can say you look. She was asleep. See, the devil's slick. Come on, y'all. And now he, she's asleep, and then, then you'll feel better that you didn't pray. See, the devil knows what to attack. He's going to attack your faith. And the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And so the, the Bible builds our faith. Faith comes the more you hang out with God. The more Abraham was with God, the more he could trust God. And then faith comes when we get around each other. The Bible says that iron sharpens iron. We build each other up in faith. When I tell you a story about what God did in my life, you're encouraged to believe God to do something great in your life. When I'm then going through a hard time and I hear how you're getting answers to prayer, it encourages me. When we study the Word of God, we actually look at people's lives. It's almost like they're journals. Like you're reading David's journal. You're seeing what he's been through, and you're taking time to study Paul's life and other people's life. So what does the devil want to do? He doesn't want you to just be a sinner and be a Satanist. You know what he wants to do? He wants you to be busy and have your faith 
turn to unbelief and to be misdirected, to put your faith just in your education without putting your faith in the God who gave you a mind to do education. I'm so busy, Pastor. I got to do school. I got to do school. Oh, Pastor, we got to take our kids here. Pastor, we got to, we can't take them to Wednesdays. We got to take them to karate. Pastor, we can't go to life group. I got to work these extra hours. And the devil goes, got them. Got them. Now watch what happens to that faith. And what you thought was so strong now becomes weak. And then you find yourself in a place where the devil says, now attack them. And the dude who said, I'll never have an affair, now he's real close to having one. Because he hasn't been doing devotions with his wife. He doesn't look at his kids as a blessing. He feels like his life is pretty much meaningless. He's just a dude who works and brings home the bacon. And now he can live out his high school fantasies with a different girl right now. Boom, there it is. And the same thing. You, you say like right now, oh, man, I would never stop believing in God, Pastor, but I'm going to U of I to be an engineer. And then we'll say to you, just like we've said to other students, make sure you pray. Make sure you read your Bible. And you go, I got it online. But then, you know, you, you're so busy. You're so busy. I'm a Christian, man. My parents raised me like this. Or I went to a radical youth group. I'm a disciple, so I got to do my homework. I'll do that later. And then because now your faith gets weak, you're sitting in a class and somebody starts arguing to you about God and starts showing you evidence for evolution and starts teaching you all this stuff, starts giving you philosophy, and now you're weak in faith. Or somebody dies in your family and you're at a funeral and now you never had depressive thoughts, but because you're so weak in faith, now you've lost somebody you leaned on in life. Now you're susceptible for that depression. Now you're susceptible for that addiction. You would have thought, listen, you would have thought when my sister died drinking and driving, my other two siblings who were drug and alcohol addicts, you would have thought that sobered them up, right? Because their sister's dead. They got drunk at the funeral, came drunk to the funeral, still getting drunk to this day because the devil said, oh, I got them now. See, they don't have faith. They don't have faith. But, but how did I go there? Did I go there in my own strength? I went there as a new Christian to the funeral of my sister. And I said, God, I can't, but I know you can. I'm weak, but I know you're strong. Lord, I know I want to get high. I want to go. I want to escape. I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to preach at it. That's certainly not what I woke up in the morning doing today. I found out she died. I was going to preach my first funeral for my sister. But I said, God, I'll trust you. And God, I know you'll show me the way. And when I talk to you today, from all those life experiences, I can look back and say, it was God. Yeah, that one was God too. Oh, yeah, man, that time over, that was God. And all I had to do was just trust him. Every time I put out that credit card and those situations, God, I, I need you right now. I got faith, though, God, that you're going to do something. Credit back as righteousness. I got your back, son. God, I need you right now. Just put out your faith, son. Boom. Credit it right back as righteousness. Timothy was told this by Paul. I put this charge before you, Timothy, my child, in keeping with the prophecies once spoke about you in order that with such encouragement you may fight the good fight. I'm telling everybody here today, just like Paul told Timothy, and that my pastors have told me, I'm telling you today, fight the good fight. Let's read verse 19 together. One, two, three. To this, do this. No, I'm sorry, one more time. One, two, three. To do this, you must hold firmly to faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. Woo! He says, you want to win the fight of faith? You hold on to it. You hold on to it. Come on up here, Joby. Try to take this out of my hand. Come on, try to take it out of my hand. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Go ahead, son. Come on. Are you going to get me down here? Come on. Come on. Woo! I still got it, though. Give it up for Joe P. He didn't want to come weak. I love it. I love it. I would rather you rip it than come weak. How many know this ain't going to break, though, when the devil comes? He had to play the devil in this one. I'm glad he didn't come weak. You will pull faith out of my cold, dead hands before I let it go. And I'm still dying with that faith, amen? You hold on to it. The devil can't take what you don't let go of. He can't take it. 
He can't take your faith. I know, listen to me, I've been preaching a lot, but I know we get scared. I know we feel like we're going to fail. I know I've been there even as a father of six. Man, how am I going to do all of this? The pressure. I know we, we, we just, we feel like sometimes maybe it's not enough. But God is literally telling us, just hold on. And you've heard it before. I know it's cliche, but you need to hold on. You just hold on. Well, pastor, I don't know what else to do. Keep holding on. Pastor, it doesn't look like it's getting better. Keep holding on. Pastor, I'm getting weak. I don't know if I can hold. Hold on a minute at a time then. Hold on a second at a time. You hold on to your faith. You do not let go of it. Whatever you do, you don't let go of it. You say, Pastor, the people around me, they've let go of it. The person who invited me to church, they've let go of it. My wife let go of it. My kids, you don't let go of it. The Bible even names them, calls them out. People know they'd be getting upset. This was on a Facebook back in the day, you know, putting them out on blast. You know, Hymenius and Alexander, they left me, and they've been handed over to Satan, taught not to blaspheme. Because here's the deal. I want you all to get this. We all in the ship. If you're a Christian, you are in God's boat right now. We are all there. And holding on to faith is holding on to your seat. But there may be waves. There may be storms. There may be times you get scared. And you may think to yourself, the best place for me is off this ship. But God is saying, don't you do that because you will drown. The safest place for you is right here. Right here. As we've heard people even in our church say, like Lauren, I would rather have cancer and go through it in the ship of God's grace than to be out there perfectly whole on my way to hell. Because I understand that there's no place safer than in God's plan. And so what do we do? We just hold on to it. Amen. Can you stand up and give it up for Jesus because he's holding on to you, amen? He's holding on to you. Come on up here, band, please, and altar workers. Praise God. Hallelujah. Somebody shout, thank you, Jesus. Come on, is anybody happy to be saved in this place? Thank you, Jesus. Is my son back from using the bathroom? Can he come up here now, please? See, I want to give you the example of faith. Let's give it up for Lucas right here. Amen. I want you to get this. He's got as much DNA of me as he will ever get. But he has to learn to live like me as he gets older. When you are born again, you get as much of the image of Christ as you will ever get in your DNA, in your spiritual life. But the rest of your Christianity and for eternity, you'll begin to have more of his character. Now watch this. When we talk about holding on to God, even some people say, well, Pastor, maybe that's a work that we do, like how we, you know, I was saying we don't look at it like God does 50%, excuse me, and then I do 50%. And some people think of faith the same way, like, man, like, what if my faith is weak and I'm not strong enough and then God lets me down? Like, that, that's, 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 that's the world's fault or God's fault for putting too much on me because my faith wasn't strong enough, you know? And, and the Bible says he won't put more on me than I can handle. You guys get what I'm saying? People will say, like, the problems were too much, and it's still God's fault. This is literally what faith is. Go and put your hand right here. Grab it right there. Who's got the stronger grip on who? I do. All he's got to do is want to stay right there. Y'all see this? Even if... Don't let go, because letting go would be symbolizing saying, I don't want you, Jesus. But just right there. No, no, keep your hands right there. Even if, if that's all he can hold on. Even just put it flat. Just You ain't even holding. You just rest in your hand there. Come on. Who's still got the grip? Who's got the grip? Who's doing the work of the saving if he was falling off the cliff? Right? All he has to do is not resist cast me off because we have police officers in the church and they'll tell you that even trying to bring down a small person is almost impossible without multiple people and I'm not saying an excuse to beat people are you listening but this is real life 
if my son does not want me to put his hands behind his back, my little son, you'd be surprised on how much effort it will take me, a 210-pound man, to hold him down to do it. Just, just because the one putting in all of the effort has the advantage of resistance. Another example is it's always easier to tie a knot than untie a knot. The one that's the resisting, it's always easier to be the resistor than the one trying to put the hands behind the back. He has the advantage, right? Now watch. This is what God said. If you don't want me, all you got to do is resist me, and I'll let you be. But if you just put your hand on mine, come on, put it right there. I got you. Just don't resist me. The Bible says, do not resist the Holy Spirit. Do not resist Him. If you decide today, I will use whatever faith, and the Bible says, even if you have it just the size of a mustard seed, God's got you. Amen. Let's give it up for Lucas. God bless you. Boy. Amen. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you gave us your word, and it promised us salvation by grace through faith. So I ask that everyone here who hears my voice, who has not yet been saved, will receive it right now by faith. If you're here today and you don't yet know Jesus personally, just say, Jesus, I believe. I believe you died for me. You were buried. You rose again. I believe you can save me. Come on, just do it right now in your own words. Those of you who are saved but you're not really living like it, just put it out there right now. Say, Lord, forgive me. I've been resisting you. I've been disobedient. And then for others of you here today, you've been fighting the good fight of faith and you just need encouragement. Ask the Lord to encourage you in the areas you feel weak. Say, Lord, it's hurting in this area or I'm struggling in this area. It's not easy here. All of us should be praying right now whether to be saved, to come back to salvation, or to live saved, fighting that good fight. A few moments right now. Don't shipwreck your faith.